Thank you, Hal. As we uh, prepare our serve, well, and welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. Uh, as we prepare to study uh, the Word of God this morning and also uh, worship the Lord in various ways, uh, it's important for us to be in fellowship. And when we say in fellowship, we mean to have God the Holy Spirit assisting us in our worship. And that, is, of course, is done by ensuring that there are no unconfessed sins in our life. We know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that allows God the Holy Spirit then to assist us, support us, uh, help us to understand our spiritual lives and the spiritual material. Therefore, let's take just a few seconds closing our eyes and bowing our heads, you have these few seconds for your spiritual preparation for our worship service. And then I will open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are our God, that you love us, and you have sent your Son to be our Savior. We're thankful that God the Holy Spirit, after salvation, indwells us. After we believe, we are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit, and his ministry to us is many-fold. But it is critical for our spiritual lives, for us to hear, to learn, and to grow. We're thankful that we have the Word of God, the mind of Christ, for us to study. We're also thankful, Father, that we have the assemblies, these bodies of Christ, where we may gather and we may worship you. We pray, Father, that you would bless our service this morning, help us to be alert, help us to be objective, and help us, Father, to base what we believe on your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Hal and Janet. And again, welcome to our service. We are really in the midst, I suppose of a short special. Uh, it's a message that I began on the 24th of December. And my design here was to observe biblical perspectives of Christmas. And we've, we have seen the perspective of devotion from Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I really had sort of hoped to cover those two in one uh, message, but it, it, I think it took two. And then we've moved on to the perspective of obedience, which is Joseph and Mary. And last week we studied Mary. And now we have the other half, I guess you could say, 
of this perspective of obedience, and that is Joseph. So the couple that we have, Mary and Joseph, Joseph and Mary, our other half here for obedience is Joseph. And we did see Mary, Mary as a woman who willingly accepted the role of God in her life, the role that God had placed before us. And I sometimes uh, wonder, as you probably do, well, how do I know what God's plan for my life is? Well, one of the things that we know for certain is that we will not know his will apart from his word. And therefore, we need to have the principles of God's word in our lives. But I think, and I believe we can see this from the Word of God, is that God presents, brings certain opportunities and decisions to our lives, and we need to make those decisions based upon the reservoir of doctrine, the Word of God that we have in our souls. And I think that this is what we see in Joseph and Mary. Both of them are given certain opportunities. And they could accept or they could decide to do something else. And therefore, as we viewed Mary last week, we see that God had a plan for her life. And she willingly chose to follow that plan the plan that God has laid before her. And I think that's a, uh, an, an excellent way to describe this for our lives. It's laid before us. And what kind of decisions do we make in our spiritual lives? And you may look behind you and say, well, you know, I don't really, I don't know that I can tell you know, what was God's plan and what may not have been God's plan. Well, we probably struggle going through life wondering that. But there are very often times when we know for certain that a decision was not the correct decision. And we know sometimes for certain that a decision was. And I believe that someone who has a biblical perspective can make those decisions or make, have that understanding. But Joseph is our next character. And Joseph is devout we use that term to mean that he is spiritually focused, obedient to God's word. Joseph is devout also, and he's been faithful in his spiritual life. And God is about to make, about ready to take, make, a decidedly dramatic role in his life. Remember that, and I've quoted this, I think, on, well, it may have been just yesterday, but God has a plan for our lives, and we know that from Ephesians 2.10. We know that God has prepared a plan for our lives, and we are to walk in that plan. God has prepared it. We are to walk in it. But Joseph is a remarkable character. He plays a central, though silent, almost invisible character in the drama 
of Christ's birth and life. We wouldn't know this if someone probably didn't express it. And having read through this many times, through many years, I probably knew it, but as I was reading it, it occurred to me again. Joseph never speaks. We don't have any quotations from Joseph. I can't say, this. listen to this wise remark that Joseph made. We have no words that Joseph ever spoke. Interesting. He is silent. Again, almost invisible. And while Joseph doesn't speak, he is a man of action. Joseph is a carpenter. He's a handyman. We learn this in Matthew 13:55, where he simply has said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph the carpenter? He's not a priest or a Levite. He's not a ruler or wealthy. He does belong to the royal family, but at that time, the royal family was minimized, was not in prominence. We might say he could have been an aristocrat, but at that time, again, those were not uh, factors that played a part in Jewish life. He is much similar to a fisherman, an ordinary man, who blends into the background of Jewish life. Joseph was confronted with difficult decisions. And some of us might say, well, wait a minute. You know, if an angel appears to me, I'm probably going to do what the angel says. Well, we have evidence in the Bible of those who did not do that, who resisted it. But Joseph is confronted with difficult decisions. And he could have turned and walked away. Society would have understood and society would have supported him. He would have been praised as having kept the law. And that's a decision that Joseph needs to make. Am I going to keep the law here? Instead, he undertook willingly and obediently what arguably could be one of the most impossible tasks in the universe to be the stepfather for the Son of God. Some of us might say it's probably going to be easy. Well, I don't know. I don't know. You might say it would be wonderful to have a perfect child. Well, parenting of a perfect child I don't know would be all that easy be difficult I think to know because the child at times would know much better than you although we realize that Mary and Joseph still had to be parents because the Lord Jesus Christ had to learn and grow in his humanity and he did but anyhow how would you proceed knowing that you were the father figure for a perfect human being As I say that, I should also uh, provide you some relief. Don't worry, you'll never need to worry about that. But I'm sure Joseph wondered 
what life would be like with this child. And he had, of course, like five to six months to ponder that. But Joseph was obedient at great cost, choosing to be what he did not need to be. He was wedding a girl who had already, who was already pregnant. You could say had another's baby. He had a choice to assume the responsibility for God's plan, seemingly for someone else's problems or actions, not his own. In this case, it's God the Holy Spirit. Or he could step back and refuse or neglect that responsibility. And it all begins with an angelic visitor. So we're in Matthew. Matthew 1. And there are times in the Word of God that I am that draw my attention maybe more so than others. And I absolutely love it when we have direct revelation from God, either from the angel of the Lord, Old Testament, angelic appearances, or the Lord speaking to us in the New Testament. And here we're going to see we have insight not only into what Joseph is thinking, but then how the Lord, how God provides for him. And he does it through this angelic visitor. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. This is I, I love the way that begins because what this says to us, okay, now, here you go. We're going to sit down. I'm going to explain to you exactly how this works. Well, there's still a lot of information that we don't know. And in a minute or two, I'm going to try to come up with a chronology that um, I prefer, not necessarily accepted, um, but at least I prefer, and I will give it to you. But it says here, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed, by the way, the name Mary is our English equivalent of the Old Testament Miriam. And Miriam would probably have been the name that was used very either inter interchangeably or maybe only at that time. Our translation comes up with Mary, uh, but Miriam is the Hebrew name. So after his mother Mary, or Miriam, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Let me read on. Then Joseph, her husband, being just, we have here being a just man, or we could just simply say being righteous, being just, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly, quietly, privately. Why does he do that? We'll talk about this, but this is insight into, again into Joseph. Joseph here is, there's no, we have no indication that he's concerned about himself, his own reputation. He's concerned about Mary. And there were great concerns here for him as a man and the law and society 
and what others would say and think of him. We have no indication that that is Joseph's first concern. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, I, I don't know how many of you have dreams, most of us do, but when someone usually directs, usually my dreams are, you know, well, strange, to say the best, the best I can say. But very rarely does someone come up to me and say, Daniel or Dan, here is Joseph. And I have, my mind works this way. I would have loved to have heard Gabriel's voice. wonder what that voice was. Was it Joseph? Probably not. Joseph. Son of David. He identifies him as son of David. Could have identified him as a carpenter. Could have identified him from his father. Could have identified him in other ways. But son of David. He's in the royal family. Do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. A little difficult for us here, because again, in Hebrew we have Yeshua, and to save is Yeshua. So we have this play on words. But our translation comes from the Latin, and we have Jesus, and that's fine. And verse 22 says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Actually, with us, God is the emphasis. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, I wonder how long that took, I don't know when you have a dream, if something sort of shakes you, if you wake up right away. That very often happens to me. I used to dream that I was falling. And then I'd hit the floor because I was falling out of bed. Um, but very often when you're dreaming, if something of impactful nature uh, is in that dream, you'll very often you'll wake up. And Joseph, I think, wakes up. It says... Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and married, took to him his wife. And people who don't understand betrothals, we'll talk about this in a moment, have a little bit of difficulty with that. He took, he married his wife? Yes, essentially he married his wife. But did not know her, did not have sexual relations with her, till, until... She had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And that's a very important last sentence when it says, and did not know her till or until, because he did, and Mary did have children, other children besides Jesus. Now, uh, much to be said here. Uh, let me get started. Um, Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, sunerkami, meaning that they now lived together. They now were 
living together as a family, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, a betrothal in the first century was essentially to be married but not living together. They're married but they're living separately. Preparing for marriage, we could say. Also, the message, as delivered by Gabriel, has come to pass. In other words, Gabriel spoke to Mary. We studied that last time. And now, Gabriel is speaking to Joseph. And the message that he gave to Mary has come to pass. She is with child. Not going to be, but is. Mary is pregnant. But I believe up to this point, and maybe just a few hours or a day or so prior to this, <coughs> Mary is the only one who knows and believes the true reason for her pregnancy. <clears throat> now we also know that Elizabeth knows, and we also may surmise, that Zachariah knows. But he's not telling anybody. <coughs> Excuse me. Joseph here is traditionally considered to be at least 10 years older. We're not told how old Mary is. We're not told how old Joseph is. <coughs> But traditionally, Joseph is considered to be about 10 years older than Mary. Possibly more, because it would have been necessary for him to be established and able to support a family. And that's what the betrothal was designed to do. The parents of the girl ensuring that she would be have a proper home and be properly supported would find a man who could do that. And that was part of the betrothal search and uh, tradition. It's also assumed that he had died, that Joseph had died, by the time of Jesus' public ministry, because he simply doesn't appear during our Lord's ministry. But, of course, Mary does, but she always appears alone, meaning without Joseph. Now, she appears with her friends, she appears with her children. But we uh, believe that Joseph would have been with her otherwise, but he's not, therefore we assume he's died. Verse 19 says, Then Joseph, her husband, and the word that we have here for husband is not just a man, it's on air, and therefore that's why it's translated, the, Hebrew, the Greek word on air, we translate it as husband, but it also has the sense of an, a nobleman. And very often we will see this with someone who is being identified as being, let's say, obedient to the word of God, uh, being devout, as I had said. Uh, it says, being a just man. Really, the translation is simply being just, being righteous. And not wanting and not wanting or we could use the word wishing, not wishing to make, a, to make her a public example. He's concerned about Mary. Now, Mary still has 
a father and mother. But Joseph already has this sense of responsibility for her. He is taking responsibility. Now, there are a couple uh, thoughts that I'm going to present to you here in a moment. But Joseph appears to be the one who is truly concerned here. Doesn't want to make her a public example. The word for public example means to expose, to make a show, or to disgrace. He's minded here. Bulamai means to have a desire or to wish. He desires to put her away. Uh, The word apoluo here has the sense of to release, to release her from the betrothal. Uh, It comes to mean to be divorced. At least that's one of its meanings. And he desired to do this secretly, quietly, or privately. Now, Now, again... I always try to put myself in the individual's shoes, in his sandals, as it were. Joseph must have been shocked. For two reasons. Number one, she's really still relatively young. Remember, I think last week I said that many of the Jewish girls were betrothed about the time that they would be able to conceive because they wanted to give the woman an opportunity to have many children. That was a blessing in those days. So she's still very young. And secondly, a a girl in the betrothal period is not out on the party scene, you know, As a matter of fact, everything that we read from uh, customs, traditions, that once someone was betrothed, they weren't necessarily secluded, but they really began to live a very private life for this very reason, to ensure that this does not happen. And so Joseph is probably shocked, uh, and I would guess also heartbroken. Because here is the woman that he trusts. Here is the woman who's to be his wife. Here's the woman with whom he plans to have a life and a family. And she's pregnant? He knows it's not him. And so I say shocked first, but then also heartbroken. He believed Mary, who was, in his mind, pure and godly, pure and godly fiancé. This would be the last situation, but she's pregnant. And he may not have believed it at first, knowing Mary and the family as he did. But what was he to think? With her apparent betrayal and disregard for their relationship and future together, How could this have happened? And who was the other man? I think that's a question that anyone would wonder. We're not told that Joseph had learned of the situation from Mary. We don't know, and I'm going to cover this in a moment in in my chronology or timeline. We're not told how Joseph discovered this situation. Anything that is said about this would certainly be speculation. 
But if this was a normal pregnancy prior to the wedding, tradition seems to think that Mary's father would have told Joseph. Why do we say that? Well, because those families were very tightly knit. And she's still a young girl. Uh, She doesn't have a lot of exposure outside the family. And if someone was going to discover this, if it was to come up in conversation, it would have been within the family. And if that occurred, then her father says, I need to talk to Joseph. And therefore, that is a possibility. The father would have informed Joseph and then asked him, what do you want to do? Because it's Joseph and Mary who are in this legally binding contract as supervised by the parents, the father, Mary's father. If Mary's condition became public, not only Mary, but the family and Joseph would be publicly humiliated. They'd be, an, and Joseph probably an object of pity, maybe even ridicule. So blame is going to engulf them. But I think there's another possibility. I think it fits the text a little bit better, and I'm going to address that in a moment. But however, what do we see here? We see Joseph's response is remarkable. He's not angry. He doesn't seek retribution to clear his honor. Instead, Joseph, very quietly, and I believe lovingly, considers what is best for Mary. What is best for Mary? Joseph doesn't wish for her to be disgraced. He doesn't wish for her to be exposed to public ridicule. And Joseph here is not thinking of himself, at least according to the text, but he's thinking of Mary. He doesn't blame her. What does he do? He protects her. However, as a just man, and I think this takes us back to Joseph, was very respectful of the law. And he was very observant of the law as much as he could. No one kept it perfectly except the Lord. And therefore he knows when something like this happens, there is a law that directs his actions. And so he's thinking... What am I going to do? I know what the law says. But I do not want Mary to go through this. He simply couldn't marry a woman whom he must conclude has been unfaithful to him. Because Mary and Joseph are husband and wife and there is public awareness of this relationship. The betrothal is well known. They're betrothed. They're married. They're simply not living together. Joseph has two choices. One, a public one, which would expose Mary, expose what she's done, her wrongs. It would exonerate himself, but it very might result in the stoning of Mary. That was very often the way it could be handled. At the time, we're not certain that that would have actually occurred. Secondly, he could propose a quiet disillusion of the marriage contract, which would remove Mary from his life and leave her either alone 
shamed and condemned or maybe in the hands of her family, which would probably probably be the likely scenario, although, although she would be shamed and resented and be an object of criticism from the family. Of course, Mary at this point is completely in the hands of God. Young girl, suddenly pregnant. And, you know, every now and then, I suppose, that happens. And those other than Mary don't have the opportunity to say, there's a star rising in the east, because this is of God. But Mary is in the hands of God. And I doubt that she's pleading, crying, or fretting. Mary has submitted herself to the will and the care of God as she faces three facts. And you know, we don't often think of this, but these characters in the Bible have the same thoughts that we would have. And Mary is told she is pregnant and as we studied last time, she immediately departs and goes to see Elizabeth, who is in Judah, where Zechariah is serving in the temple in Jerusalem. And I'm sure, how and we don't know how she traveled. That's going to be a subject in a moment. We don't know how she traveled from Nazareth to Judah, but she would have been a young, vibrant, healthy, we believe, girl, and if she went with a caravan or she went with uh, friends or someone else that was traveling, she probably would have walked. She didn't fly. She didn't take a cruise. She probably would have walked. And the entire way, what would her thoughts have been? This would have been going over and over and over and over and over in her mind. And she may have been putting it in the Lord's hands, but in three months, she's coming back. She's walking back. And again, thinking of this, how am I going to approach this? But, as I said, I think she faces three facts. Her relationship with Joseph, first of all. Joseph. What am I going to tell Joseph? How is Joseph going to learn about this situation? And she knows that he'll probably immediately surmise that she was unfaithful. What else would he believe? Secondly, she would know that he was a righteous man, that he's just. And that he couldn't marry her if he assumes she's been immoral. Had sexual relationships outside of wedlock. And then thirdly, if that's the case, she's certainly facing a, a possible divorce. That's her situation. Now, having worked our way into the passage, we're faced with this context. What's the context of Joseph's decision? And what I would like to do is work on a time, a timetable or chronology. I'm going to give you a chronology that I think bears on Joseph's decision here. Uh, we all know how the story ends, so I'm not going to you know, be breaking up the suspense for you. But let me give you what I believe is 
a possible chronology of Mary and Joseph's relationship. Now, as we do this, as we begin this, first of all, some of this, and you'll be able to see, is tethered, is tied to Scripture. We have it for a fact. Other things we don't know. And, of course, I'm quick to say, where the Bible doesn't provide the facts, we shouldn't speculate. But sometimes, in order to try to put things into context and for us to understand them, I think it's beneficial to do this. And some of the things I'm going to say are not based in scriptural fact. They're just my sense for having read this and studied it. And we went over, we, as a congregation, we've gone over this chronology uh, several years in a row for our Christmas special. We read the chronology in Matthew and Luke. And therefore, we have a sense of what's happening. But there are some gaps here and some questions that we might have. And I'm going to make a proposal here. And doesn't necessarily mean that it's accurate. And if somebody uh, else has something else, has a different thought or a different idea, and there are many, doesn't mean they're wrong. And I'm right. But it helps me to do this. And I thought I'd pass it on to you. First of all, we know that Mary and Joseph are betrothed. And we know that from our passage. We have it right here in Matthew 1.18. But we don't know when the betrothal occurred. Therefore, we don't know how long this betrothal period has been. Betrothal periods were generally 12 months, generally a year. They could be a little less. They could be a little bit more. But... We believe that there's probably 12 months, a year long, and they are now, we know, betrothed. Secondly, Gabriel appears, believe that they were betrothed first, and I'm putting this in to kind of give the plenary, uh, plenary view of this. Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in Jerusalem, and Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And we know that, we've studied this, Luke 1, 5 through 25. I believe that Gabriel, or the betrothal here to uh, Mary and Joseph, comes first. And then we have this appearance. Third, Gabriel appears to Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We're told that. We know that for a fact. Luke 1, 26-38. So Gabriel has appeared to Zechariah. And even though in some of these passages we don't have Gabriel's name, uh, theologians, scholars generally uh, surmise that it is Gabriel. Gabriel is the divine messenger. So we have Gabriel's appearance to Mary. Fourth, I don't believe that Mary tells anyone about her pregnancy in and around Nazareth. So, I believe that she immediately departs for Elizabeth. Remember, she's been informed that Elizabeth is also pregnant. And I think that one of the reasons that Mary departs for Judah is because she wants to tell somebody. And I don't believe she is comfortable telling anyone 
in Nazareth, you know, mom or pop, that an angel appeared to her and told her that she is pregnant by God the Holy Spirit. I just don't think that that's what she does. I think she travels to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Judah, to see Elizabeth, with whom she can speak freely. Five, Mary, at three months pregnant, returns to Nazareth at Elizabeth's ninth month. And we know that for a fact, Luke 1, 56, 57. So Mary, at the, the moment she's pregnant, travels. She, and, and you say, well, I wonder how that happened. Well, I'm sure that could be arranged somehow. I, I think that because it's the sixth month and we know that Elizabeth was silent, quiet, didn't say anything for five, but at the fifth month, she does announce it. And so it's possible that word has, has come to Nazareth, or she could have found very very soon after that. But one way or the other, Mary presents, I think, an option, an opportunity to her parents, I would like to travel to see Elizabeth. And apparently she has that approval. She wouldn't have hopped a train uh, in the dead of the night to try to do this. So that's point five, I would say, in this scenario. Now, point six, there are some divergence here in what some people believe and what I'm going to present. First of all, let me tell you what others might say. Others might say, upon returning to Nazareth and beginning her fourth month, Mary informs her father of her pregnancy. She tells her father. I believe... That upon returning to Nazareth, she's in her third, going on her fourth month, Mary informs Joseph of her pregnancy. Notice there's no passage of Scripture, so we don't take this as scriptural truth. I think it's a possibility. One of these two. Somehow, Joseph is informed. And I think maybe when Mary returns from Judah, after being three months with Elizabeth, she maybe says, I'd like to tell the family about my experience in Judah. Having seen Uncle Zechariah and Aunt Elizabeth, and she's pregnant, and she was just about ready to deliver when I left, I'd like to tell everybody, and by the way, can Joseph come in here as well? Or maybe the Lord worked it so that when she arrived, that mother or father said, we want to, want to hear about your experience, but we'd like for Joseph to be here too wonderful and while she is talking or after she's done she says is it okay if I talk to Joseph and I think the answer would be sure keep the light on want to hear your voices want to hear something happening I say that with a little bit of a smile uh, when I was in high school I dated a, a well I'm going to call it dating I saw a girl in uh my church and uh, went to her home had a pleasant night and we were walking out her dad said to me Dan you can remain on the porch out here but we're going to keep the light on and I want to be able to hear your voices so if any one of those two if you violate either one of those two I'm coming through the door 
Um, I believe here upon returning, uh, she informs Joseph. Seven. Now again, let me tell you the first scenario, which I'm not giving you. The first scenario could be that Joseph, so uh, Mary's father, believes she is pregnant because she exhibits it physically. Or Or Mary could demonstrate that to her father but questions the appearance of the angel and the fact that she is pregnant by God the Holy Spirit that he would have been skeptical hmm saw an angel huh dear you know that's you gotta admit that's a little hard to believe and the angel told you what therefore I believe Mary knowing this doesn't tell her parents doesn't tell her best friends but instead she tells Joseph Joseph believes she's pregnant but does not accept the story of the angel's visit he's skeptical of that as well again this is what notice there's no uh, scripture reference there so this is what I'm this is what I'm believing um the reason I favor this option is because when the angel appears to Joseph, he simply confirms Mary's story, and Joseph acts immediately. He says, right. She was right. She told me. Eight. And again, let me give you the other part of this story that could be true, but I don't think it is. Mary's father tells Joseph about her pregnancy, but also informs Joseph of his skepticism of her virgin conception therefore Joseph is faced with a decision and that's the decision we have here in Matthew 8 1 18 through 19 Uh, what I believe is that Joseph having been told by Mary is now faced with a decision he loves Mary but being just he contemplates divorce proceedings Matthew 1 19 that's what we know we know that he's now faced with a decision. And how he got the information, I've given you at least two scenarios. The reason I believe that is because I don't think anybody else knows Mary's predicament. And I think Joseph is going to ensure that they don't. To avoid disgrace, public embarrassment, uh, and anything that could come to harm Mary. I think he is going to protect her in this. Therefore, while Joseph is in the quandary, we would say, and contemplating what he should do, Gabriel appears to Joseph confirming Mary's story or her testimony. And we have that, Matthew 1, 20 through 23. He appears to, to Joseph and says, and you'll notice it's not very long. He doesn't dwell on it. He simply says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife wed her and I think Joseph as soon as he understands what he's supposed to do he does it immediately he didn't say oh boy we got to plan the wedding uh, it's going to take that six months we've got to line up the flower all these things that go into a wedding I think he somehow arranges with her father. Boom. 
the wedding. I want to marry her now. And I think there may be a way that we can understand that. So Gabriel appears, nine, and, and confirms her testimony. Ten, Joseph immediately fulfills the betrothal oath and weds Mary. And we see that he does this. We see this in Matthew 1, 24 and 25. It simply says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife, and took to him his wife. Uh, now, some people could say, well, you know, it could have been several months later. I don't, I don't get that sense with Joseph. doesn't say anything. He just executes. Now, I have a couple more thoughts here. I believe, point 11... Soon after the wedding, the decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered is published. And we read that in Luke 2.1. It may have even been published prior to the wedding. You know, today when we have a directive from the government, it comes out, we have it almost instantaneously, and we may be given a time limit to do something. Back then, it would have taken time for the decree to reach the Middle East, and it would have taken time for everybody to learn about it, and then for them to plan to get to their homes, their homes where they uh, of origin, and register. It would have taken time. And therefore, this mandate could have come and been already in existence. I think that Joseph will be able to use this. Point 12. To avoid questions in Nazareth, Nazareth about Mary's pregnancy, Joseph and Mary depart for Bethlehem, I think in about her fourth month. Luke 2.4. Now, I think I've given you this. My, I'm not even sure it qualifies as the theory. Maybe not even a hypothesis. But my speculation, I think I've given you my speculation in the past, but I don't believe anybody in Nazareth is the wiser at this point. I think Joseph is the only one who knows. And I believe that he departs immediately. Now, one of the parts of this that kind of causes me to be somewhat amused is that People have said, you know, it's hard for us to believe that, J that Joseph was this compassionate husband when he forced his wife to ride from Bethlehem, excuse me, from Nazareth to Bethlehem on a donkey in her ninth month of pregnancy. Well, the text doesn't say that. And I'll try to bring that to bear here as we go into the second service. No donkey is mentioned. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to break anybody's traditional vision here, but there, it, there's no donkey here. As a matter of fact, there's not even one in the manger scene. Now, don't go home and throw your manger scene away. Fine, have a donkey, have a cow, have sheep, doves, whatever you'd like to have there. That's... I, that's fine but and and that may be traditionally what was in the stable 
and therefore you're fine. But at least it's not mentioned. Therefore, we don't automatically say, no, she rode on a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. How did she get to Judah from Nazareth the first time? Well, maybe she rode a camel. Maybe she was in a caravan. But I think she walked. And three months later, I think she walked back. And therefore, it's not difficult for me to believe that this woman, who may be in her fourth month, could turn around and walk back. And that's how they traveled in those days. Matter of fact, Joseph might have been worried about it. And Mary could have said, don't worry. I just walked up and I walked back. I can do it again. Don't worry, Joseph. I'm going to go with you. Because that's the other thing. Why did he take Mary with him? There's no indication that he had to. Except I believe that Joseph believed he had to. She is my wife. And I'm not going to leave her. Particularly now that I know she's with child. And the angel appeared to him saying, Take her to be your wife. He's not going to let her out of his sight. All right, let me finish here. 13. In Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary temporarily stay with relatives. No scripture? I'm going to assume this. I'm going to surmise they arrive. That's the hometown for the family. And there are still relatives there. Had relatives. Mary had relatives in Jerusalem. There are probably relatives of David, of uh, Joseph here in Bethlehem and he stays with them and I'll explain some of this a little bit later fourth Mary and Joseph register in Bethlehem and remain there for about five months until Mary delivers her son and I have had an interesting conversation with several Greek professors Uh, I don't propose to be the Greek expert but I've spent nine years formal academic years studying it then taught it for several years but just to get some other people's opinions on this if we look at Luke and I'm going to just go over here very quickly to Luke Luke 2 just so we can see this we are going to study this in a second it says Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of this is Luke 2 4 Joseph went up, also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And who was with child links us immediately to verse 6. Verse 6, so it was that while they were there, doesn't say immediately, it says while they were there, So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Boom, 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 boom. Days completed. How many days? We're not told. Could have been right away. Could have been the same month. Could have been the next month. Everybody sees this as Mary in labor pains as they go from Holiday Inn to Holiday Inn to Motel 6, which didn't exist. Again, if you have you know beliefs... Other than this, wonderful, fine. Mary and Joseph returned to Nazareth when? 
after they come out of Egypt. The kid might be four or five years old. I think Mary and Joseph leave with no one being the wiser. They got married. Joseph hurried it up a little bit. He just suddenly desired to marry and take her with him to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, a married couple arrives. How long have you been married? May have never come up in conversation. Well, we've been married two weeks or less than a month. Well, how do you have a baby six months later? I don't think any of that comes up. They're a married couple. She's pregnant. They have the child. No one knows. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is never accused of being born from a conception out of wedlock. His mother is never accused. Well, I'm not going to say never accused because the liberals accuse us of ever, accuse Christians of everything. But that, that's never, that never comes up in Scripture. That she was seen as an immoral woman. I think Mary and Joseph know. And that's it. All right. This is my timetable. Uh, again, some of it is not attached to Scripture. You don't need to accept it. What I'm trying to do is put a framework here for us so that we can now understand what Joseph's doing. Why Joseph does what he does. And I think that Joseph is committed to Mary. He loves her. He's also very devout. He knows the law. But God works this for him. And he's going to take care of Mary. And he does. I think, in a phenomenal way. We'll come back and finish our study of Joseph in the next service. It's also our opportunity for communion, so I'm looking forward to that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the text of Scripture. We're also thankful, Father, for maybe some of these possibilities as we watch Joseph. We're thankful for Joseph. We're thankful for his commitment to Mary, but even more than that, his commitment to you and his spiritual life. We're thankful, Father, for the decisions he made. We're thankful for the character that he exhibits. And we pray, Father, that we would have the same desire and the same commitment to the Word of God and your plan for our lives. And, Father, we're also thankful that this child, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born to Mary and Joseph, became our Savior. And for us to have to possess eternal life. We simply need to believe in who he was and his finished work on the cross. It's simply a matter of faith. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul is asked, what must I, when Paul's asked by the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? He simply says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the understanding there is to believe that he paid for our sins. And we have no need to worry about those sins. Now we simply need to understand or believe. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Father, we're thankful that it's that simple. We ask for your blessing upon our service. And Father, our church family, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll be back a little after 11.